week we began our holiday series, and we started by looking at Matthew chapter 1, and the idea of the series is with us to redeem us. That as we kind of navigated out of the series uh, prior, where we're looking at the different names of God, we moved into the, the name Emmanuel, God with us, last week. And we went through Matthew chapter 1, and we started going through this genealogy, and we kind of broke down the fact as always, when there's genealogies, there's reasons for the genealogies. They're not there just to bore you. They're there because they're hiding important information, important stories. And so we started going through it, and uh, I, I'm not going to do it again because I, I practiced it for last week. I didn't practice it for this week. But being able to go through all of the different names in Matthew chapter 1 that bring us from Abraham all the way to Jesus, proving Jesus' genealogy was pure and all the way back. But we notice, including Mary, there's five individuals that are in the genealogy that uh, don't necessarily make sense. Because usually when you have these genealogies, it's the father, we have the son, we have the grandson, we have the great-grandson, etc. But in this particular genealogy, and remember, Matthew was written to the Jews. It was written to a Jewish audience to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was who he said he was, that... Matthew intentionally includes five women, including Mary, in this genealogy. And it wasn't the standard women that you would think, well, he's going to put Sarah in because Sarah and Abraham. No, he intentionally picks individuals who are outside of the Jewish bloodline to basically begin showing two things. One, this is Jesus. This is Jesus' claim to be who Jesus said he was. But also, let me show you that not only is Jesus the Messiah that the Jews were looking for, but Jesus is going to bring the Gentiles in. I'm going to show you that the fact that Jesus is inviting the Gentiles, Jesus is inviting the women, Jesus is inviting the downcast, Jesus is inviting the ones that don't have any hope, everybody gets to come along with. And the powerful thing is by doing this, we start looking at individuals that have messy stories, but in reality, we're going to realize, we, we saw it last week with Judah, we're going to see it again today with the spies in the story of Rahab, that the individuals that are probably the most messed up in these particular stories are actually the Jewish people. That the Jewish people need Jesus just as much as the Gentile people need Jesus. And so as we dive into the story, you're going to see the fact that right off the bat as we begin hearing it, that Rahab has an issue, but the Jewish individuals in the story have a greater issue. So we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 2 in just a second. But before we do, if you would go ahead and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. This is Joshua 1, I'm sorry, Joshua 2, 1 through 7. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. 
Then the king of Jericho sent the Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed in the dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the uh, stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now you hear me say this all the time, when I read scripture, I'm always looking to understand the context. I'm always looking to ask those questions of who, what, where, when, why. Because if we read scripture just so that we can say, I checked the box off today, we're going to miss a lot of truth. Now, one of the powerful things as we read scripture on a consistent basis, there's a reason why when I read this passage in today's mind, I perceive it one way, but a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, with different life experiences, with different things going on, different emotional states, you can read and see different things. And as I was reading through this passage this time, I caught something that has always been there, but I just didn't really realize it. And some of you, you might already be piecing this together. And some of you, when I say this in just a second, you're going to realize that, oh, that was there the whole time and I never saw it before. Let me just read the beginning of it again. And Joshua, the son of Don, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. They were called to go out and be spies. And what's the first thing they do when they get to Jericho? They seek out the prostitute's house. Let that one sink in for a moment. You see, because so often in the New Testament, we have the Jewish people that are looking down on the Gentiles and saying that the Gentiles are horrible people. The Gentiles have no hope. The Gentiles, they don't have a chance. They don't deserve to have a Messiah. They don't, if they want to have the Messiah, they need to follow all the laws of the Old Testament. They need the, the laws that the Jewish people were never able to fulfill themselves. These two spies are given a mission in order to push forward and take over the land that God had promised them. And what are these two spies doing? See, I always, in my mind, as I read through this, I perceived that as they came into the land, and that the king was already seeking them, so they went to the first place that they could find, and they hid in that first place. No. They went directly and lodged in the house of the prostitute. And then the king found out, oh, that's where they are. Let me go seek them out. They put Rahab in a horrible position. You see, in this moment, Rahab is instantly put in a spot where now she's kind of stuck where the king is pursuing. And she's having to make a choice of, do I betray uh, these two men that have come to me uh, from Israel? Or do I lie to the king and back them up. And it even puts into place, there's so many moments in, in scripture where you say, well, I thought lying was bad, but Rahab lies here, and we're going to see that Rahab ends up working out for her benefit. Let me just encourage you with something. One, I think most of us have never been put in a position where if we don't lie, we're going to be like put to death. Now, fast forward to the time period of the Great Tribulation in the, the book of Revelation, then we might see some more of that kind of happening. But Rahab is put in a spot where I can lie and protect these two men, or I can tell the truth that these two men will be uh, most likely executed. And so she chooses to do what God Almighty would want her to do, and so she's put in a difficult spot here. 
And here's the thing that I want you to realize as we hear this. She's making a choice to really protect individuals that are really doing all the wrong things. They're supposed to be spies. They're supposed to be checking out this land. They're supposed to be finding out what is going on in the land of Jericho. How can we overtake it? How can God be victorious? What should the battle plans be? And they instantly go to the house of the prostitute. Church, let me just challenge you with something here. Is not that you're necessarily in the position of these spies, but when you clearly know that God has called you to do something and you choose not to, God is going to get his way. God is going to get his will. You can't stop God from accomplishing what God's purposes are. So, like, one, I need you to hear that. It's like your mistakes, your faults, your failures is not going to stop God. So I want you to allow, for a moment, I want you to allow this kind of like freedom to come over you that just because you messed up yesterday or three months ago or five years ago doesn't mean that God's done with you. Because if God can still bring victory for the Jewish people in the city of Jericho, where all they had to do was march around the city and blow trumpets and the walls came tumbling down, notice there's nothing special the Israelites did except to be faithful. If they're faithful to do what they're supposed to do and can see victory happen, then God can still use you. Because the Israelite spies still accomplish the mission, they still go back, they still give to Joshua what needs to be done so that they can go to Jericho and march around those walls. But they mess up royally in this process. And let me flip it uh, on the other side for a moment. If God's clearly spoken something to you, Stop wasting your time in the house of the prostitute. Amen. I'm not saying the literal house of the prostitute, I and mean, we may be, but here's the thing that I, I need you to hear this morning. If God has clearly spoken to you to give, and you're refusing to give, you're robbing God. If God has clearly spoken to you that, as I look back at Sarah and John, that he specifically wants you to go and help those that are in need, those that are down and out, those that need help in society, and you say, but my favorite TV show is on Wednesday. There's a writer's strike. You're not getting any TV this year. Go give your Wednesday night. Do Monday or Tuesday night as an anchor group as January kicks back up and give Wednesday night to be able to help at the warming center. There is ample opportunity all around, and we look too often to be entertained. Church is not, we can have fun at church. But church is not meant to be a place of entertainment. Church is meant to be a spot where people that are lost can be found, can be redeemed, can be saved, and spend eternity with God forever in heaven. And so often we look at it we're like, well, what can I get out of it? These Israelite spies, it's like you're told your, your, your company is sending you to go somewhere on a business trip, and here's the card, put your expenses on the card. Well, let me go to the fanciest restaurant, and I'm just going to start swiping that card because the company's paying for it. That was the mentality I had as a poor college student, where I was invited with my saxophone quartet to go and play at a conference. I remember sitting in a restaurant and saying, I don't want dessert. I, my professor's right next to me, and he's laughing at this. But my professor is uh, saying, do you guys want dessert? I'm like, I don't want dessert. But Eastern Michigan University wants me to have apple pie out of right now. <laughs> because they get enough of my tuition dollars, I'm going to get my apple pie on the mode out. I didn't want it, but I mean, if you're going to offer it, I'm going to take it. We have that mentality with God too often. Of, oh God, 
if you, you're going to give me the opportunity, then sure, then I'll take that. No, just serve. Yeah. Just give. Just obey. Mm-hmm. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in God's word. Like, it's almost maddening sometimes how we can see people in our society. Like, I saw, I forgot where it was. It was like a news story or like a message feed. Somebody making this statement of, um, it was celebrating Christmas and people bickering, going back and forth. Because just remember, nothing ever gets solved on the internet. Like, you can argue with random strangers on the internet all day. The only thing you're doing is wasting your time. You're never going to change somebody's mind arguing with them on the internet. I mean, you can troll them and you can get a good laugh out of it, but you're, you're not going to change their minds. But somebody's like, atheists have every right to celebrate Christmas. I remember, I read this comment, I'm like, do you not know what Christmas means? Like, that's how far Christmas has shifted in our culture, where... Atheists are arguing with Christians about their right to celebrate a Christian holiday. And I think part of it is because we've lost sight of why we celebrate it in the first place. Not necessarily you or your family or us as a church, but I think Christianity within America, we've just lost sight. Like, this should be a season over the next several weeks that you have ample time to invite people that don't know Jesus. There's so many studies, I referenced it last week, there's so many studies that say most people are one request from a friend or a family member away from going to church. And we expect that those that are more spiritual to be the ones that will win them the Christ. Oh, you're the one that's most likely to win them the Christ. Mm-hmm. Win them the Christ, invite them to church, bring them here. We'll work on discipling them as a church body, doing it all together and helping them get to meet who Jesus is and grow in their faith and move in the direction that they should go. But it's got to start with you. If God has clearly spoken to you to witness, you've got to go witness. Otherwise, you wind up like one of these spots where you're told, here is your mission. And you say, you know what? Witnessing is a great idea. But also, like, let me take them to Chili's and we can get some baby back ribs. And then maybe I might say something to them at the end of, like, hey, have a blessed day. No, like, share the truth with them. When, when we look at you, if we look at your collective life, are you someone that pushes Jesus Christ forward? Or are you someone who sits on the sidelines? We, we don't have time. Look at our world. We do not have time to simply say, well, this is, this is my way of doing it. No, you've got to be able to speak truth. You gotta, people have to know who you are. Mm-hmm. And Rahab, in this moment, she just brazenly lies and even sends them on a wild goose chase. She said, oh, yeah, some guys were here, but they left. And if you, if you go that way, you might catch them. Like, completely out of some kind of cartoon of, like, yeah, they were here, but like run out those doors and go as quickly out those doors as you can, and you're, you're going to catch them. Meanwhile, they're up on her roof the entire time. And so she puts herself in a spot where she could get herself in so much trouble. She could get herself killed. She could get her family killed. Because all of a sudden, she realizes there's something different about the God that these Israelites serve. And ultimately, what we start kind of seeing happen is this... Canaanite from Jericho that has no connection, that perceiving, just reading what I've read so far, she has no skin in the game. All of a sudden, she's viewing things a little bit differently. So let's get to Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 
For we have heard from the, how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sidon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now here's what you got to hear out of this. Rahab's willing to put her life on the line because she already heard the reputation of God Almighty. That she's willing to lie to the kings to protect these strangers because God's reputation precedes him. We don't need to make excuses for God. God's reputation precedes him. And let me add another line to that. God's reputation precedes him despite the Israelites. And let's take it one step further. God's reputation will continue to precede him despite us. In your faults, in your failures, in your missed opportunities, in your attempts that don't go the right way, in your desire to do the right thing but not do it, God's reputation will continue to precede him. Rahab hadn't experienced God. She hadn't heard the newest worship song. She hadn't read the word of God. She just heard what the God of the Israelites was able to do and said, you know what? I want in on that God. I want to participate with that God because there's something different. The, the God that brought them out of Egypt, the God that brought the plagues, the God that let them cross the Jordan, the God that beat all these other, I want in with that. <laughs> and so while you might be miserable representations of that God, you have access to that God. And I want it. I want to be a, a, I want to partake in this. I want to experience this. And here's the thing. The more we look like Jesus, the easier it is to win people to Jesus. The more we focus on the things of this world and putting those things first, there's nothing wrong with so many of the things that we like. I watched the Michigan game last night. I'm excited about the Michigan game. I'm excited about what could happen. Guess what? Doesn't matter in eternity. I like nice things. I like going on trips, going on vacations. Guess what? Heaven is going to trump everything of this world. You can travel to the Grand Canyon today and say, wow, this is amazing what God created. Just wait till you see what he creates in heaven. He, Jesus went back to heaven to prepare a place for you. Think your place in, in heaven is going to be better than anything you can buy here. Yet, for some reason, we keep trying to hold on to the things of this world and say, well, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. We need to become more like Rahab, saying, you know what, I'm willing to give up everything if it means someone might need Jesus. Because Rahab's life is radically changed and radically transformed, says, you know what, I want in on that. When's the last time that you shared your faith with someone so much so that someone was saying, you know what, it doesn't matter if I lose all my, my popularity, if I lose my status, if I lose my job. When we start looking at some of our missionaries all around the world, when they work in nations, that are especially Muslim-based nations, they're willing to lose everything. When they get baptized, it means that family's going to cut them off, and they could lose their job, they could become homeless. And so the church has to be ready to surround them and pick them up. So church, how do we expect people to be willing to meet Jesus if we're afraid to even say the name of Jesus to someone that doesn't because they might not like me on Facebook? Guess what? Facebook's not going to be in heaven. Twitter's not going to be in heaven. Instagram's not going to be in heaven. People's opinions aren't going to be in heaven. What's going to be in heaven is God Almighty. And because she says she's here for the Lord, your God, your God is in heaven above and on the earth below and in the ancient 
uh, world in Hebrew, this concept is known as Mary's most. We see it also in Genesis 1 where God created the heavens and the earth, also Mary's most. And what that means is you take the highest point available and the lowest point available, and that means everything between that highest point and that lowest point, that God's over. So she's basically saying, the, the, your God of heaven above and on earth below, your God is God over everything. It's amazing watching how she figures it out that quickly, because all we see identified through her of the Old Testament and the New Testament is Rahab the prostitute. Imagine not being able to shape that title. Even in the New Testament, even when we see that she is in the genealogy of Jesus, in the, the couple places she's referenced in, and we'll read in a minute, in the New Testament, she still references Rahab the prostitute. And on one hand, I think it's, it feels like this like, kind of knock against her. But in reality, I think the reason the title doesn't get dropped is the ability for the Israelites in the New Testament and us today to realize if God can do this for a former prostitute, what can he do for you? That yes, that's her title. Yes, that's how she's identified. Yes, that was her fault and her failures in, in the past. But she turns from it. And she turns from it in such a way that she gets to enter into the genealogy of Jesus. And it's a reminder for the Israelites to say, hey, stop looking down on people. Stop looking down on someone and say, well, you made your mistakes here. You made your mistakes there. And so did you. Every time we find ourselves mad and angry at someone, well, they shouldn't get grace, then you shouldn't get it either. Because for all of us, it came short of the glory of God. But Jesus came so that all could be redeemed, healed, restored, and spend eternity with God forever in heaven. And that's what, like, we, we get this notion of, like, let's celebrate Christmas. And we want everybody, we want everyone, and I'm not saying this about any of you in here. So if I, if I step on a toe, that's your toe. Um, it's the Holy Spirit stepping on it, not me. But we get so worked up when people don't say Merry Christmas to us in a store, when they may not even be a Christian. Yet we want people to put, like, the Christ back in Christmas. How about we start with ourselves? Mm -hmm. How about we start realizing the fact that if Jesus is king of all, then that means he's king of all, and he has the power to redeem and restore everybody. And we start praying that way. When the person cuts you off on the way home today, you need to pray for them. Like, in the moment, don't wait. <laughs> when the person cuts in front of you getting into the restaurant, you pray for them immediately. When somebody sends out your food and it's wrong, you pray for them. Like, when things don't go your way, you pray for them. When your boss doesn't give you the bonus that you're hoping for, you pray for them. When a leader gets elected and you don't like them, you pray for them. If a leader gets elected and you do like them, you definitely pray for them. We need to be individuals that say, you know what, God is in control. I may not like the situation, but my God is in control and my God wins at the end of the day. I'm going to put him first and foremost. And that's what Rahab's doing. She realizes I've got a past, I've got mistakes, but I realize that your God is more powerful and I realize that you made mistakes. We're all making mistakes together, but let's go ahead and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and move in the direction that he would have for us. And so let's check back on the, the, the spies here for a moment. This is verses uh, 12 through 14. It says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that is, oh, I'm sorry, Rahab, that, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all those who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, 
then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithful with you. I think there's like a double meaning here, if we're being honest. It's don't tell the king we're here to spy out your land. And don't say, like, here's any plans you might for us to speak, and we're going to have you go ahead and put this red cord in your window. But in reality, I think Rahab probably also, in, in their minds, is like, when Joshua gets here, don't tell Joshua what we did. Don't tell him that we came here. Don't tell him why we came here. Just, like, speak highly of us. Because don't tell, don't tell our business. Here's the thing we've got to realize here. One, when you do the right thing, we can trust that God's going to provide and take care of us. We don't know how it's going to look. We don't know the, the issues that are going to happen. We see when they go around Jericho, the walls come tumbling down. We see the fact that Rahab and her family are saved because Rahab took a step of faith. We don't hear from necessarily from these spies again. We don't even we don't get their names here. These these two Israelite spies. But we do know who Rahab is, because Rahab's the one that took a step out of faith. Rahab's the one that said, you know what? I want God in my corner. I want this to happen. We get to James 2.25 and 26, and it says, In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That verse really ties into the whole course of uh, idea of, of James and his themes that if you have faith but it never shows up in your life, you're just talk. Now here's the thing. We are made whole. We're redeemed by simply believing in Jesus, but if we've actually believed in Jesus, it has to spur us on the action. Our, our actions, this is one of those like hard concepts to understand. That there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Nothing you can do can earn salvation because Jesus had to come and die for you. But in reality, when you realize and you recognize that Jesus died for you, then that should spur you into action so you should do something about it. I expect someone that doesn't know Jesus and hasn't been redeemed, restored, and, and bought with the precious blood of Jesus from the cross to come to church and be a spectator. But when you accept Jesus... You cease your right to be a spectator of the gospel. You are now an active participant, or you start thinking to his word, did you really believe that Jesus did what he, he said he did? Because if Jesus it was an active participant for you, and he, all he tells us to do is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think we have a, a kind of emerging words there. I, I think we kind of know what we're supposed to do. I think we know that we're supposed to go out and tell people. But all of a sudden, you say, well, I'll do it, but I'll only do these parts. I was talking with a few people this week, and they, they referenced an illustration that I did uh, probably a couple years ago, where I had, I'm not going to do it, this one, this is a good Bible. But I had a Bible up here, and I was pulling pages out, and I remember there was, like, audible gasp, like, you just pulled pages out of the Bible. Like, but that's kind of our heart when we start picking and choosing scriptures. You don't like it when I pull the pages out of the... What, what does it mean when you ignore pages? You're basically pulling, pulling them out of your own heart, in your own mind, by refusing to do what God's called you to do. Rahab also shows up in Hebrews 11.31. It says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish for those who, have, who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In Hebrews 11, we have this hall of fame of the, the faithful. And Rahab makes the hall of fame of the faithful individuals. 
this is one of those moments where, like, if Hebrews was written today, it would be one of those privileges to be able to have your name in Hebrews of, and this person was faithful because of this, and this person was faithful. Rahab was faithful. Rahab heard what she was supposed to do, and she acted on it to the point where this random little story in Joshua 2 with Rahab the prostitute ends up netting her three examples in the New Testament of someone who has done something great for the kingdom of God. We see her in Matthew 1, we see her in James, we see her in Hebrews 11. And it's just this woman that probably if you would have looked at her, in Joshua chapter 1 or during the book of Exodus, everybody would have written her off and said, you know what? It's not a, hope, a lot of hope for Rahab. Who's the Rahab in your life where people would say there's not a lot of hope for Rahab? But man, God has some plans. And let me even just say, you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, well, I'm Rahab. But let me tell you, God's got plans. You don't have to stay where you are. Your friend doesn't have to stay where they are. Your coworker doesn't have to stay where they are. God can do incredible, amazing things. So that brings up this point. So what? That's all great for Rahab. But what does it mean moving forward? Well, first off, we have to admit something. Rahab turns her life around. At some point in time, even though the New Testament is referring to her as Rahab the prostitute, again, I believe fully that the reason for that is to bring attention to where God picked her up at and where God brought her, and as a reminder for the Israelite people to don't give up on people that might have had uh, sully titles in the past. But it's, at this point, Rahab stops being the prostitute. She gets married in Israel, which is how she delivers a child who leads to Jesus. Her life serves as a reminder that even Jesus' story cannot be told without complex elements reminding us of why Jesus came in the first place. When we look at people with difficult stories, we look at our own stories that might be difficult and complex and it feel bad and you're like, I don't really want much to do with that. That's why Jesus came in the first place. That's why Jesus came as a baby. That's why Jesus laid in the manger is for difficult stories. Because otherwise, God wouldn't have had to send Jesus, but he came up with this master plan to be able to redeem and restore us so that we can leave our past in the past and move into the future that God has for us. Rahab didn't stay stuck in her sin, and you don't have to either. Your friends don't have to. Your family doesn't have to. We can be individuals that point people to Jesus. You might not always feel popular in the moment, but I want you to think back to some of the most influential, important people that have moved your life in different directions. They're the people that were hard on you in the moment. But they pushed you in the right direction. And when you got to the right spot, you're like, oh, that's what they were doing the whole time. My mind goes back to one of my, uh, my ninth grade science teachers. I, I have told this story, I believe, before, so I'll just kind of summarize it. Basically, I skipped ninth grade science. I was not a science fan, but they told me I was good at science. And they let me skip ninth grade to go right to advanced tenth grade science. And I had Mr. DeShane. And Mr. DeShane was a very unique individual, that he was a very difficult teacher. I think he liked playing games and kind of, like when you, when you think of a TV show like Survivor, where like they're always trying to change the elements to get everybody to kind of fight against each other, that was kind of Mr. DeShane. Our first lab report, I remember we had to write this lab report. And everybody in the class failed except for one person. 
And so everyone's comparing their lab report to that person's lab report. They were all trying to figure it out. And he's sitting back, and you can just kind of see that he's laughing. He does this every year. Because he's trying to get everybody to raise their standard. And I would even look at it, at least in my opinion, that that lab report was not as good as a lot of the other ones. But he was pushing us to do better and expect better from ourselves. And he was particularly hard on me because he's like, you're a ninth grader with 10th grade science class. You don't belong here. And I was not as bold or as confident at that time period of my life, but I looked at it and I remember thinking, I'm going to show you. I'm going to get the best grade in your class. I belong here. You can say what you want to, Mr. DeShane, but I belong here. And I worked my tail off that entire semester. In the meantime, over here on the side, I'm talking to my counselor because like, next semester you're changing my schedule, I get the other molecular biology teacher. I do not want another semester with him. But I worked my tail off. I, I worked for every test, every project. I sought out every opportunity to improve my grade. And at the end of the semester, he put up uh, all our grades. It was by like, the last four numbers of your, your school ID or whatever. I had the top grade in the class, and I remember thinking, showed you, I belong here. And then all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of dropped this into my spirit of, that was his whole point, is to make you prove that you were capable of doing substantially more than you would have imagined or thought on your own. And so often, that's kind of what God wants to do for us, is push us and challenge us and put individuals in our path that will push us and challenge us. And you say, well, I don't really like you very much right now. You're trying to get me to do things. You're trying to get me to be disciple. Absolutely. That's the whole point. Because five years from now, ten years from now, I don't want us all the, the exact same people in this room sitting in the exact same seats with all the empty spaces being the exact same. This church needs to grow. And here this, it's not because I want you to have new friends to do new fun things with. I don't want it because it's, there's uh, more opportunities for us uh, as a church to, to make things look nicer. No, because hell needs to be emptied and heaven full. And if we have space, time, opportunity, then that's what we have to do. You're like, well, I don't really want to do this or do that. Or are we doing it for us or are we doing it for God? Like Sarah and I were, were talking about this this past week. And it's one of these disheartening things, but at the same time, I think it provides us with opportunities that there's a lot of churches that used to be more involved in the Warming Center, and I'm not calling out all those churches. So if any of you churches are happy to watch this, I'm not calling you out right now. But here's the thing that I want to uh, challenge us with, is there's a lot of churches that didn't jump back in with the Warming Center. Now, they might have picked up other opportunities over the course of the last couple of years since COVID messed up everything with how the Warming Center operated. But there's people that are living on the streets that are, are freezing at night and the ability to be served. And there's only one church, to my knowledge, so there's one church in our community in Macomb County that is actively, consistently going down and looking at the warming center, and that's our church. So Sarah, thank you for, and John, thank you for that being your heart. And there's so many of you I know that's your heart, that you are actively going and serving. Because there's individuals that desperately really need Jesus. It's why we're looking after foster care and saying, what can we do? When we host the Christmas party, that every kid will walk out of here with a present because you gave the kingdom builders. 
that we're able to tell kids that people in this church wanted you to have an incredible Christmas and know that God loves you. That's because you guys value things like that. And I believe as we pour into the kingdom of God, we're going to see more and more people see Jesus. And we're going to see individuals that you would look at the surface and say, well, that's, they're Rahab. Let's see Rahab the prostitute become Rahab the woman of faith who helps bring about the birth of Jesus Christ. Imagine the people that you think are so incredibly far off aren't that far. They just need an opportunity to hear that there's an incredible God that has led his people to victory after victory and they want in and they want to be part of it. If I can have the, the worship team come forward, I'm going to share three couple of quick points. The first one is this. We need to recognize God as God. We need to recognize that God is God. That Rahab recognized it and believed that the real God of Israel was the real God. And said, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She didn't know him. She didn't know much about him at all. But what she did know, she truly believed. And that's the first step. Church, we have to get ourselves back to a spot in our minds where we remember what that first step felt like. That first step that felt uncertainty. That first step of, I don't really know a lot. I don't really know who this God is. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm surrendering, what I'm giving up. I don't know. But being willing to take that step of faith is saying, okay, I'll trust you, God. See, what happens is we go from this infancy in Christ to feeling like we're teenagers, feeling like we're starting to mature, that we're growing, and well, I can walk and go where I want to, I have confidence in who I am. How many of you know that when you were a teenager, for as much as you thought you knew, you didn't know anything? Because the older I get, the more I realize I don't know anything. Because I keep continuing to learn and grow, and I look back at myself five years ago, six years ago, when I first got here, didn't know much. You guys took a chance on me. And I feel like, wow, in this, this time period, I feel like I've matured, I've grown, that I know more about Scripture. Hopefully you feel the same way as well. I look at myself back when I first started as a youth pastor. I definitely didn't know much. And I regularly talk with my pastor, Brooks McElhaney, and I'm like, thank you for taking a chance on me because I didn't know much. And he'll laugh. And we'll, we'll talk about all the ministry and the opportunities we've had. I look at myself back when I had Sunday school teachers and Royal Ranger commanders that poured into me. I didn't know much, but it allows me as each of those steps happen and those individuals have guided me and pointed me in the direction that I am I'm supposed to go, how little baby steps become confident steps. And then when I wander off a little bit, they're there to shove me back on the right path to recognize that God is God. This morning, if you're in here and you just need to make that recognition, we're going to have our prayer team come forward in just a minute. I want you just to come forward and just let them know, like, hey, I need to recognize that God is God. I need to invite God in. Or maybe it's a matter of, like, you know what? I accepted Jesus, but I don't know where I'm going, and I'm wandering from this way or the other. Our prayer team will pray over you. We'll introduce you to Jesus. We'll, we'll put tools and resources in your hand. The next thing is this. You need to risk something on him. Risk something on God. That Rahab risked her city, her life, her family, whatever reputation that she had left on this God that she didn't really know yet. 
but she heard the story. She knew the power. She knew the ability. If you're sitting in here, whether this is the very first time or you've been sitting in here or in churches for years upon years, when are you going to take that next big step and risk? What's it that God's calling you to do? Is God calling you to serve Him? Is God calling you to go and witness to somebody? Is God calling you to give more than you've ever given? I don't know. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Risk something on God. The things of this world, it's going to fall apart. It's not going to be what you think it is. But the things of heaven will go on forever. Rahab was willing to risk her life and lie to a king so that she could worship the king of kings. And it was worth it. And then the third thing is this, is act. See, it's one thing to say, okay, I recognize God as God. I know what I'm supposed to risk. I know what I'm supposed to do. Then you got to just do it. We're getting towards the end of uh, the year, which all of a sudden brings about everybody in about two, two and a half weeks beginning you know, like there. Well, in 2024, this is who I want to be. And let me, I might step on toes here, but I'm going to do it anyways. In 2024, this is what my word of the year is going to be. I wait. Now, if God gives you a word for 2023, if God gives you a word for 2024, run with that word. But I think so often it's like, okay, I didn't really live up to the word this year. I didn't really live up to the challenge this year. So I'm going to have two and a half weeks. I'm just going to binge out. I'm going to eat all the candy. I'm going to eat all the this. I'm going to do all of that. And then when we hit 2024, I'm going to live my best life now. No, start it now. The people that really make authentic life changes, don't wait until a date on the calendar. Because let me let you in on a little secret. There's nothing different from January 1st to December 31st. You're not Cinderella. Midnight's not a magical hour. Your house isn't going to turn into a pumpkin. Nothing magical happens at midnight. But it could happen today. Let today be that moment where you say, you know what, I'm going to act. I'm going to do something. Joshua 6.25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. It wasn't a matter of show up and do what you're supposed to do and rescue me, and then I'll follow. It's the matter of saying, you know what, I'm willing to give it all up right now. I'm going to lie on your behalf. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to tell you how to get out of here. I'm going to tell you how to get back to Joshua. And then when you come back, you take care of my family. But I'm going to act first before I expect God to show up and protect me. Church, it's got to be our mentality. We cannot be individuals that simply say, God can show up and do something for me, and then I'll serve him. When God gives me this, then I'll serve. When God gives me this, then I'll give. When God gives me this, then I'll go and tell people, no, you do what you're supposed to do, and then watch God do what he does. Scripture says that you cannot outgive God. You wonder why you don't have something. It's because you're not given. So God's already outgiven you. He gave you life. He gave you the air in your lungs right now. He gave you the clothes that are on your body right now. Hallelujah. Amen. He gave you the means in which you got here today. So God's already outgiven you because he could take the breath in your lungs right now. He's already outgiven you. But if you want to see God do more in your life, then you need to start doing the things that God has called you to do so that God has an opportunity to outgive you. We need to stop holding on to these scriptures of saying, you know what? I'm going to make God do something for me. No. Be grateful for what God has already done. 
Because the, the, the who is trusted with much is more given. We say, okay, God, I want you to give more. I want you to do more through me. That that requires you to actually be actively involved in giving and doing and praying and serving. We have to give, and then God shows up and does what God can do. So, church, I want you to go ahead and stand up. Worship team, I want our uh, worship team is going to lead us. Prayer team, if you come forward and just face our congregation, if you need prayer or something, come to our prayer team this morning. Just share this with what's going on. Would you pray for me? We just want them to pray over you. We want to believe God's best for you. That we want to believe that just like Rahab was able to see her entire life change and transform because she was willing to take that first step of faith, but she didn't know what it was going to look like. She took that step, and amazing things happened. Be willing to take that step today. Worship the King of Kings. Do not wait another day to do what you know God has called you to.